everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 147 of the podcast that takes you on a journey through the Marvel superhero adventures of the Marvel superhero universe from the superhero beginning. That was the Fantastic Four number one in 1961, and we have been on a journey ever since then that has brought us to the month of February 1967. It's new. It's Valentine's Day, Mike. Yeah, it's also, I'm now, I can't do math really fast. I'm negative eight years old. Negative eight? Mm-hmm. So that would put you being born in 75? Yay, I did it. Yeah, you did math. That took way longer than it should have, but I did it. <laughs> um, y'all didn't hear it, people, but there was like 30 seconds of silence there. <laughs> it all got, it all got there was out. some calculator <laughs> noises. I heard the abacus clicking. Uh-huh. And we're going to be covering four comics today, probably four. We've done a five a couple times, but probably four. Tales to Astonish 91, Fantastic Four 62, The Avengers 39, and Daredevil 27. That Fantastic Four number keeps creeping up there. It's really awesome. That's my favorite of our numbers, I think. Yeah, because it's like the highest and the most genuine. And kicked it all off, yeah. Right. It's cool. If it wasn't for that whole like every other month thing at first, it'd be pretty accurate. Yeah, it could be the number of months, right? But we uh, who's who's uh, who's starting us? Who has Namor today? I have this ridiculously green and red cover. <laughs> uh, Tales to Astonish, number 91, Whosoever Harms the Hulk, featuring the Abomination. It is very green, but they are different greens, so I guess that's okay. Uh, but first, we actually have a Submariner comic, because they both still share a book. It's called Outside the Gates. Outside the Gates, Waits, Death. Um, stay thy hand before you turn this page. Let us not forget the most senseless-shattering sentiment of all, Imperious Rex. Oh, see, the caption doesn't summarize things for me nicely, so that sucks. I think but, the uh, bubbles do. Okay, so there's a guy on the TV screen. His name's Lord B- Byra or Bira. We never really decided on that. Citizens of Atlantis, you all did witness my victory in battle over the Submariner yesterday. Therefore, I call upon you to proclaim me, Lord Bira, as the new prince of the realm, when it is time for you to cast your votes. And then Submariner's like punching things because that's how he deals. And it says, it must not be. He defeated me by trickery, and yet I cannot prove it. I know not how. A shocking submersible saga by Smiling Stan Lee and Bill Everett, inked by Dandy Danny Atkins, lettered by Swingin' Sammy Rosen. So, yeah, Subby's annoyed, and when he's annoyed, he smashes everything. Dorma's there, and so is what's his name? Uh, anyway, Vashti. you know what I'm talking about. Vashti, yeah. And they're like, we still love you, but as they're hugging him and trying to start something, like these two soldiers come in and say, We work for Bira and you're arrested. And Samaritan's like, No, I'm gonna be arrested, and he starts fighting, but then they wrap him in this like force field bubble thing that came from remember Bira was responsible for the uh, Atlanteans' whole armory, so he's got access to all the choice weapons, and one of them is this plastic bubble that completely renders Submariner harmless. Then they put him in a tube just to render him even more harmless. It's a shatterproof pressure capsule, they call it, so that sounds pretty good. They take him to Bira, and guess who's sitting to the left and right of him? His only other two bad guys. Uh, what is their Atuma name? Atuma Matata. Krang and Atuma, yeah. Who have apparently joined leagues with him, with Bira. So now it's like, ha ha, we're really going to take over all of Atlantis. 
and be mean to all your bad guys, mean to all your subjects who think I'm awesome. But first, before we join you, Bira, you agreed to kill Submariner. He's like, okay, you're right. I'm going to kill him. So they put him in a missile. They put him in this big, giant, technologically advanced looking missile, and they shoot him to an island. And on the island is a volcano. And inside the volcano is a volcano creature. And that's how they're going to kill Submariner because the volcano creature is on fire and Submariner says, fire, the one thing I can't fight. Anyway, back at Atlantis, uh, Vashti, what's his name? Is it Vashti? Yeah, it's Vashti. Vashti. Yeah, Vashti. Why does that sound like a girl name? Anyway, Vashti, sorry, that was sexist. Well, maybe it's Vash from uh, Picard's life. Yeah, if you're... uh, if your name's Vashti out there and you're very masculine, I'm sorry I said that. Anyway, Vashti and Dorma are like, oh, we got to do something. Dorma's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go invade Bira's laboratory and see if there's anything up. And when she's in there, she finds something up. It's like this weird projector. But as she's fiddling with it, those same two guards or two different guards come in and they try and arrest her. And she goes, oh, yeah? And she shoots the projector at him. And they're like, oh, Lady Dorma, we worship you. They jump to their... They fall to their knees and stuff, and she surmises. She's like, "Oh, they or Bira, Bira didn't uh, persuade all these people to follow him. He used this projector on everybody. And look, there's a reverse button. So she presses the reverse button, and suddenly, all over Atlantis, all the blue people are like, "Hey, we don't really like Bira. What the heck? What's going on? Where's our liege submariner?" And inside the throne room with Krang and Atuma is Bira, and all of a sudden all the soldiers are like, hey, we don't like you. What's going on? We're snapped out of it. So that's when Atuma gets mad, and he beats up Bira, and he says, your stupid plan didn't even work, but, you know, uh, Krang and I are going to just take over anyway. Meanwhile, the Submariner's fighting this giant monster that's on fire, but he finds that if he uh, gets the creature to touch the water, it Hurts the creature. So apparently the creature who lives on a volcanic island cannot touch water. So guess what? Submariner goes underwater. He gets like all this mud Terminator or uh, Predator style, wraps it around his hands and goes up and just starts socking on the thing until it finally falls out of the volcano and lands full on into the water, thus being defeated. Then goes back to Atlantis only to find that Krang and Atuma have set upon the city like this cyclone whirlwind i don't really know what's going on honestly but lots of stuff is spinning around and submariner goes in there and like punches the stuff that's spinning around which looks like broken buildings and then atuma and krang are like let's get the heck out of here because submariner's back so it looks like atlantis is completely destroyed but i think there's a sentence that says just the outskirts got destroyed or something and everybody's like yay everybody not everybody but vashti and dorma are like yay you're back and they explain to him what happened that his people didn't really betray him it was all just a weird projector and submariner's like well how come you two didn't betray me they they're like because we love you and then bira is cap on the last panel the end, Imperious Rex. I used to have this um, chocolate milk maker, uh-huh. and it was a cup with um, a little spinny in the bottom. And so you put your milk in, oh. and you put your chocolate syrup in, and you push the button, it goes, and it spins everything up for you. Basically well, probably, saves you from stirring with a spoon. They got that idea from this issue, obviously. Yeah, that's that's exactly what he has here. He just has a little bit, like a little <laughs> propeller. I say little. It's, it's a giant spinny. 
and he's going to stir up the ocean like a chocolate milk glass, which is probably yeah. destructive if you're at the bottom of the chocolate milk glass. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happened. They didn't really even show what they had. Oh, yeah, I guess they did. That's yeah, what right. that it's one there on page It looks like a carnival 10. wheel. Yeah, yeah. It looks like one of those things where they like spin you around and you're pressed against uh-huh. the wall and then the floor drops yeah. out from underneath you. Yeah, the best ride, yeah. Yeah, I, I love, love that. that. I only read, only read on those once. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yeah. It's really fun. Centrifugal force, basically. Yeah, yeah. What'd you think of this one? <sighs> I was disappointed-ish mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. The first reason being... I think it was kind of a cop-out that they were just like, oh, it was really a device. Because last issue, he was working hard to persuade the people. He was going from rally to rally. He staged this whole fight. Why even stage that fight if you just have a device that brainwashes everybody, you know? Maybe it's, I mean, just, just to argue for the devil here, maybe it's short range. And so he had to like go around and hit as much people as he could, oh. as many people as he could. Okay, well, that's cool. But I know I get you. This comes out of nowhere. There was no hint of this last issue. And no. I wasn't sure whether I liked it or not because it's like, okay, I'm glad that the Atlanteans weren't really just going to you so easily that they actually did care about Namor because crap, <laughs> if they just can spin yeah. that easily. There but then also, that. we've seen that really, really terrible people have charismatic influences and can, can turn people really easily. Maybe because it's more on the nose with right now that like I just enjoyed that version of this villain better, like a guy who just went around mm-hmm. preach, preaching what people wanted to hear and then finalizing it with this big giant this big giant arena fight that was televised and yeah he cheated but nobody else knows you know I don't know that was cooler to me than this like weird MacGuffin in a closet and then while he's wrestling with that Namor is having to fight a lava monster and he says the one thing I cannot fight is fire. Uh, which is did great. that make you laugh too? Yeah, because yeah. of all those human torch fights, which technically aren't in canon <laughs> right. anymore, but you know they will be again. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's the well, and he's fought Johnny too. Yeah, he has fought Johnny. So it's like he loves fighting fire. That's what everybody likes to see his neighbor fight: water, water versus, versus fire. fire. Throw him in yeah, the ocean. Yeah. yeah, which is what he does here, and that's what he does. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good resolution because throwing a lava monster into the ocean so it like cools and turns into lava rock makes lots of sense and you know that fight was okay but even then it's like well they're doing this to kill submariner that's the best option i mean not to be all like logical about james bond deaths but this one seemed way over the top to me like there's a island with a volcano monster and they shoot people there to kill them i guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and plus namer can fly so just fly home there is that just fly away from the lava monster because it's yeah, an island that you keep, can do that why does he keep fighting him you know <laughs> That's weird. Um, I did think Dorma was funny at the beginning. She's like, well, yeah, beer is doing all that. But remember how you got that trident on, on the oh, quest? Yeah. That That's yeah, still yeah. cool, right? You got the trident, makes you a king. Yeah, and he's like, well, well, who cares about that? It's like, yeah, we all felt the same way, actually. So, <laughs> Why does this trident matter? Why does this trident matter? No one has had it in the history of Atlantis. So, And then the last thing for me is like, he's only got three giant villains really and like to throw the other two in league with this guy just kind of like a slap on mm-hmm. and then yeah. have them run a- and run away at the end like it's nothing it like really kind of cheapens, uh, cheapens them yes great work it's like dude you just made those guys seem so unimportant to me um bira does come back eventually but it's gonna be a while i didn't write down the issue number because it's like ways down the road okay well, he's walking the same direction as Krang did when Krang got away. So right, like, so he's, he's going to go down to the murky depths or wherever it is that Atuma Murky lives. depths where all the tanks and stuff are that someone mm-hmm. built that just leaves there. Yeah. Well, that was quick and easy. 
That was quick. Was that a two-parter or a three-parter? That was just two parts, I think right? just two parts, yeah. So it's funny that we had this Namor for a while where it never ended, and now we keep kind of getting Namor where it ends maybe too quickly or just it's I don't over. know. I think this story had just the right amount of room. They could have done something different with it in the second half, but I don't think it wanted to go longer. No, not the way they were going with it, no. I'm glad it wrapped up. And it doesn't really tell you what the next issue – oh, you know what else? One more note. Krang says Imperius Rex. So what's going on now? Does everybody in Atlanta say Imperius Rex? Where does Krang say? Is he saying about himself or about uh, – there it is. Uh, on Namor has been destroyed, and now his fabled realm shall perish after him. The end has come at – Imperius Rex makes no sense. <laughs> Did they mess up? In that spot. It's like um, it's like Anchorman, where he doesn't know how to use the Rome idiom. <laughs> when in Rome – yeah. It's like, we're really in Rome now. No, no, that's not how that, no. <laughs> that's Craig. Wales, okay, I won't say that on here. Anyway. <laughs> I got you, though. <laughs> uh, it's a funny line. So should we go to Incredible Hulk? I'm ready. Sorry, Namer. We might do five issues tonight. Thank you, Submariner. Okay. Whosoever harms the Hulk, created by a Freak gamma ray accident, an ordinary enemy spy, has been transformed into the all-powerful abomination. And because he received a heavier dose of radiation than Bruce Banner himself, the fleeing monster has the strength to actually defeat the Incredible Hulk in a stand-up fight. And that's not all, but we'll have to fill you in on the rest as we go thundering along. A power-packed plethora of pulsating perils. There's more peas by Stan the Man Lee and Gil Super- Sugar Lips Kane, lettered by Artie Semek. So yeah, Hulk is unconscious, and Abomination took Betty and is leaping away, and Talbot and Ross are like, ah, we have nothing that we can chase after him. What about planes? Not fast enough. Cars? Not fast enough. Nothing's fast enough except the Hulk. But he's dead. And then Talbot's like, well, maybe he's not dead. Hey, good call. Let's check. Maybe he's not dead. (laughs) Yeah. So they pick him up. And they have, they have the army pick him up, like the entire army. It takes the entire army to pick him up. And they take him to, like, the base. And there's a surgeon there. And he's like, I've only studied humans. I don't really know what to do here. But he is alive, I think. At which point, Rick Jones comes in. And he's like, let me through. Let me through. And, and uh, I know what to do. And apparently off camera, he suggests that they dose him with gamma rays. Um, so they do that. And it does wake the Hulk up. And the first thing he sees is a... Thunderbolt Ross yelling at him at an army full of soldiers pointing guns. And so he says, Hulk hates everybody and starts fighting. And Ross is like, no, you need to help me. And he's like, I don't help you. You hate me. You try to kill me. So he leaves. And then Rick runs after him and does this real long plead, like, come on, man. I'm I'm here to help you. And ever since you saved my life, like, my wife's worth nothing, but you saved it anyway. And and uh, you got to help You got to help yourself for – you got to make the Hulk a hero. And you got to help yourself for – Bruce, and oh, by the way, Betty, they've captured Betty. You remember Betty, right? And that's what really clicks in his brain. And he starts thinking about Betty, and that turns him into Bruce Banner. And then Bruce Banner, for the first time ever in our in our story, uh, gets very assertive. And uh, as as uh, Ross confronts him and says, you got to do what I say, Bruce is like, no, you need to shut up and you need to listen. I know what we need to do. We have this thing called the infinite weapon. Um, and I can modify it to make it so that it attracts the abomination. So we don't have to try and chase after him. He'll come back here. So they go to this lab with the infinity weapon, with infinite weapon, I'm sorry, infinite weapon ray. And Bruce Banner does what he says. He quickly changes it to something that 
like calls to the abomination, I guess. And the abomination's like, despite himself, he can't help it. He keeps, he comes back with Betty. And the first thing they do is they shoot him with a beam that saps his strength. So no longer is he like more powerful than the Hulk. But unfortunately, while that's happening, Bruce Banner gets excited and turns into the Hulk. And the first thing the Hulk does is crush the beam. So the abomination is still the abomination and he's still very strong, but apparently not as strong as he was because the Hulk is now mad and he goes in there and starts slamming on the abomination. Meanwhile, we cut to, remember how this whole thing started with the stranger? Yeah, I forgot too, but he's been watching this whole time and he's like, well, the Hulk sure is savage, but he doesn't seem like he's ever going to cooperate with what I want him to do, which is basically kill everybody on earth. He's just too crazy for that. But hey, this new green guy seems a little more intelligent. So I'm going to abduct him the way I abducted Magneto. So suddenly the abomination just rises and flies into space. And the Hulk's like, okay, that was crazy. And Thunderbolt Ross is like, he saved my daughter, so I guess he's not that bad. And Betty's like, yeah, I love you. And Rick is like, yeah, stay. And Hulk's like, no, Hulk cake everybody. And he walks away. Next, the new chapter. All right. All right. Do you feel like right at the end, they decided to get a new creative team next issue and so wrap everything up real quick? (laughs) It seemed like they could have done another chapter on this one. Yeah, until Mm -hmm. that last page. And like maybe the like the the stranger would have like had a few pages to like remember remind us why he's there and everything, but it says like nope, I'm right here. Get the abomination. Yep. Yeah. This story was like okay, except there's a couple good things in it. But I like how uh, uh, Rick Jones is in it and actually plays a part, which was cool. Yes, and actually got to talk to Bruce and they had like a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I like Bruce. Like I said, he's, like, never been assertive like this before, but he was all Mr. Like, I can solve this problem. That was kind of cool. Um, it bothers me that we get not just a, the only thing we can do is pray, uh-huh. but, like, Rick Jones doing a full-on prayer to God to make everything oh. go better. Where? What page was that on? I must have just page skimmed right six. over that. When he's pleading <laughs> with the Hulk, it starts out as a prayer to uh-huh. God. Oh, Yeah. And then he starts pleading with the Hulk. And when he says, Betty, Hulk changes his mind. He's like, okay. And when he turns into Bruce because the thoughts of Betty calm his heart, mm-hmm. instead of Rick Jones being like, yay, I found a way to calm him down. He's like, thank you, God, for listening to me. And I don't know. That just all feels weird. Was it thanks God or thanks Bruce for listening to me? You know, I think it's intentionally ambiguous, but yeah, I feel it like is, it's... Huh? Like, I feel like it could definitely be taken either way. Well, I, you know how you and I feel about these sort of things, but it's just the sort of thing do, they never do. There do exist in this universe on this planet people who are religious. Mm-hmm. So it's like if that was all, if that was devoid, if that never happened in fiction, then are we portraying reality? I guess. Okay. So, and I could see. Like, Rick is not notoriously known for being religious, but it also seems like when they do want to do a religious character, it's either all or nothing. I can Like, suddenly, suddenly Nightcrawler is religious, and therefore he is just all about his religious. Whereas, like, there's probably plenty of people that are only semi-religious sometimes, particularly when they're panicking or scared. Mm-hmm. And Rick Jones comes from, I mean, I don't know where he was born, but mid- Midwest. You know, Midwest somewhere. So he probably grew up with church somehow. So turning to this aspect of his life in this really dire moment of need makes sense, might make sense for somebody like him. Maybe, maybe. He never, I don't think, 
he's known for this though. I don't think he does it that often. No, I don't think he does either. And I, yeah, I, I agree. Since it's kind of like this once an occasion thing, it does depict a once in an occasion aspect of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being understood, then I'm even more glad that they leave the resolution ambiguous because uh, yeah, yeah, um, Rick does something which causes what he wants to happen to happen. But a lot of times people do those sorts of things or have those kinds of things happen in their life and they attribute it to as an answer to their prayer. So that that's normal. That's life. That's what it kind of reminds me of like, you know, one of those people that are like, you know, I promise I'll never lie again if you get me out of this jam. And then they get out of the jam and then they start lying again. <laughs> but at the moment, they were very sincere, you know. Um, look how big the Hulk is on page two. When those guys pick him up and carry him like pallbearers. Uh-huh. He yeah. is a massive boy. He's gotten bigger. I mean, if they want to go with eight feet tall, I would definitely believe it in that picture. Which I don't believe is how he started. He seemed more like just kind of a big guy initially. Yeah. Like way back in the day when he was gray and all that. Taller than average and very muscular, but basically just a dude. Mm-hmm. A tall and pro now wrestler. He, now he's very giant. Um, We get yet another project that Bruce Banner was working on oh, back in the day. No, Jesus. How many freaking projects? And what does this project do? They're just, what's the infinite weapon, Ray? Um, I feel like they do something with it that doesn't oh. feel very infinite. Oh, the one designed to repel gamma attack. So are we getting attacked by gamma all the time? Maybe while they were developing the gamma bomb, they were also developing a protection against the gamma bomb. Ooh, that's nice. I like that. But then it's like, oh, it only took me a minute to send out infra gamma. Okay, so it's a thing that propels gamma, but he could turn it around and make it attract gamma. Interesting. Eh, it's a little pseudo. It's not a little. It's a lot pseudoscience-y, but. Yeah. It's at least the third time they've done this. I remember that there was the the, the T-Ray, which turned out to be a time grant. You know, she's something to time. And there was one other. I couldn't remember off the top of my head. But this is at least the third time they've had him. I was working on this project. He's very. He feels very Richard Reed Richardy in this scene, especially mm-hmm. page seven. Like grumpy, but also like, hey, get out of my face! And I know what I'm doing, and it's only going to take me three seconds to reconfigure this crazy Kirby gadget. Which uh, so de- he's decrease, smart. He's very very smart. Decrease the mm-hmm. grunt factor a little bit, and he's much more like Mark Ruffalo in the MCU than I think we've seen Bruce to this point. Mm-hmm. Well, since like and his you know, series. I'm fine with him being. I actually really liked it that he fought back against Ross because Ross is all in his face, shaking his fists and stuff, typical Ross fashion. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, you want this guy's help. Why don't you like <laughs> say pretty please or something, you know? Uh, yeah. Like you said, I completely forgot that we were on the stranger's mission. I totally forgot all about it. Yeah. He like tested the Hulk's strength and then sent him out into humanity to, I don't know, destroy them maybe. He was going to, yeah, kill everybody on Earth, wipe it, a plague, basically the Hulk plague. But then as soon as the Hulk, the first humans he encountered, he had to make a decision as to who to kill first, and it snapped him out of it. So it was like it wasn't even a thing. And so since the Hulk can be so valorous, even as a brute, then maybe humanity deserves to exist. And I will take the abomination because he's truly evil, and I'll use him to kill some other people. (laughs) I like how the guy who wants to wipe out the planet worries about who has valor. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well i think it's like we said before he he works on a higher plane than ours like the mm, things that we value as important he does not but at his core he is still on a good evil pole mm-hmm. um, yeah it's always good when some completely foreign alien 
like decides for us what our moral values should be, I guess. <laughs> so many ways we could go with that. <laughs> we will not see the abomination again until the Silver Surfer number 12. Wow. Okay. Which is going to be in the, I want to say 1970, 71-ish, because it starts in 68. Well, this is like, you know, if you were to come up with your top five Hulk villains, he's number two, right? Abomination, yeah, after the leader, right? After the leader. So we've got two down. I don't even know who the other three are, to be honest, but there there must be something. Um, When I think of Hulk Ty- villains. Tyrannous. No. I, I, I guess. <laughs> uh, no. The Circus of Crime. No. Wow. Okay, Hulk fans, write in top five Hulk villains, because I'm actually struggling here. And we're going to see the stranger again in the Silver Surfer number five. So he comes back before the Abomination comes back. The Leader, the Abomination, and Thunderbolt Ross. Those are my top three. Those are your top three? I guess yeah, in modern days it would be Red Hulk, if Red Hulk would be considered an antagonist. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. But I think Red, Red Hulk, Hulk is mostly on the side of the angels. He just hates Hulk. Yeah, because he's Thunderbolt Ross. So that's right. still number three. Uh, yeah, wow, I don't know. Superman? I don't know. I read something where they fought once. <laughs> Maybe. He was in the Superman versus Spider-Man issue. Was he? Yeah, okay. Superman vs. Spider-Man ha- also had uh, Hulk and Wonder Woman because they were on TV at the time. Was that the one? I've seen a panel of like Superman going, okay, enough is enough. If I don't want to move, I won't move. And like he sets himself and the Hulk like punches and punches and he doesn't go anywhere. Was that I think that so. Thing? I think that's from that one, yeah. Yeah, that was back in the Silver Age. Superman is completely unbeatable days. People like to pit the two Superman versus Spider-Man the two for the first two against each other. They're very, very different stories. The first mm. one is like um, a high action, old school, dust them up superhero storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is, I think, more character focused and like Peter becomes part of the uh, the Metropolis world and Clark becomes part of the New York world and they spend time in each other's places for a while. Oh, wow. I haven't read that one. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a Dr. Doom and Parasite story. Um, oh, okay. So it's actually one of the few times that Spider-Man has fought Dr. Doom. You'd think with him appearing in issue five, they would fight each other more often. They really don't. <laughs> At least not so the until fir- the eighties. The first one is the one where they like Lex Luthor and I think Doc Ock, like augment Spider-Man or something. Yeah. 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 That's the one I've read. I like that one. Cause like, I think the solution was that. Superman gets really mad and almost actually punches Spider-Man and then realizes he's going to kill him. So he doesn't punch him and it knocks Spider-Man out. Right, right. I like those. I don't know. Not that I'm like super, uh, super, huh? Not that I'm super versed in all of Superman, but I like the ridiculously invulnerable guy. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a fun it's a fun concept. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's great when you can bring out the personality. I, I don't think – I think the first one is just more having fun with the idea of Superman than bringing out the, like, the pathos of Superman. But mm-hmm. um, I've read both of them multiple times in digital copies. And not that they're available digitally, just, you know, through means. But then I got mm-hmm. physical copies, and I will never read the digitals again because mm-hmm. those are books that you you really want to, like, fall into the artwork on. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure, I have not heard them, but I'm sure that Rob Kelly has con- has covered it over on the Treasury Cast, which reminds me I need to listen to more Treasury Cast. goes to my podcast, yes. Keith puts more in. Especially the one we were on. Yeah. We were on a Treasury Cast episode. That's the one that matters, everybody. Right. That's go, the important one. Go check that out. All right. Ready for mm-hmm. Fantastic Four? Always. Okay. Um, y'all, 
This is a very simple issue. The basic <laughs> plot is uh, okay. So let's let's do the whole thing. Um, the grieving FF learn to abandon hope is to abandon life, and one shall save him. Um, in a desperate effort to save Sue, Ben, and Johnny from the Sandman's murderous attack, Reed Richards hurled open the fa- fateful door leading to the dreaded negative zone. His daring action routed their enemy, but Reed himself was caught in the sudden surge of unleashed force and carried away beyond any hope of rescue. Contrived and crafted by the curiously creative, catastrophically compelling, and... Catastrophically compelling collaboration of Stanley and Jack Kirby, inking Joe Sinnott, lettering Sam Rosen. All right. So Reed Richards is in the negative zone. He's flying through space, flying toward Earth. And in the skies above Earth, everything's exploding. Like rocks are coming together and they're just exploding. So he's like, I know I'm falling toward the exploding zone. Um, Ben Grimm has a telephone that Reed is able to talk to because of his Dick Tracy watch. And they're like, oh, no, Reed, what can we do? And Reed's like, you can't do anything. I love you. Goodbye. I'm going to go die now. And everyone's like, oh, no. Why is he going to go die now? And then Crystal shows up with Lockjaw. And she's like, Johnny, I love you. And Johnny's like, I think I'm hearing things. I think I hear Crystal's voice. It is Crystal. If only I were happy, but I'm not because Reed's going to die. Okay. So then Crystal's like, yeah, but um, teleporting dog? Teleporting dog. And we can go get the Inhumans and they can help us. And like, all right, go get the Inhumans. Meanwhile, in the negative zone, this alien spaceship flies over and like, "Eh, we need to uh, discharge this uh, alien creature here that is a threat to us. All right. Going to open up the eject bay doors now. All right. There he goes. And they release um, this uh, green suited, completely covered, massive alien power who utters doomsday as he flies through space. But no, it's not really him. It's not what he says. Totally Um, him. He lands on this asteroid that Reed also lands on the other side of. He's holding on for dear life as he's pulled toward Earth. Meanwhile, um, the Inhumans are fighting off this random army that's having a fight on their island. The Inhumans are like, this is our island. You want to be here? You can't. So, you know, go away. And so they, they knock each other away. Uh, Crystal shows up and says, hey, can you come help me? And they're like, sure, we'll send mystery person. Black, jo- Black Bolt points at the reader and says, we want you. Okay, so meanwhile, back at the Baxter building, Ben Grimm is like, I'm so mad, I gotta break stuff. And so he breaks the entire full wall monitoring screen that they were using to see what was happening with Reed Richards. So now they can't anymore. And Ben's like, oh, I guess we might have needed that. But I'm not sorry, because I don't know how to apologize. I really don't know how to process my feelings at all, actually. Um, and Crystal comes back with mystery and human Triton. Because if anybody can swim through the vacuum of space, it's Triton. (laughs) So Triton goes swimming through the vacuum of space. He does have like some sort of air gun or whatever to like propel him through space. Um, And he propels himself towards Reed Richards. He grabs Reed off of the asteroid, has Reed like stretch his arm out, grabs him. Meanwhile, the mysterious not doomsday green suited dude looks over and says, yo, they're getting away. I'm going to follow them. I'm Blastar. And I'm going to knock myself out of my suit. And I'll use my blasting hands to blast against this asteroid to give myself a propulsion after those dudes. And so um, 
Reed Richards and Triton make it back through out of the negative zone. Everyone's like, whew, so glad you're alive. Blastar comes out of the negative zone after they leave the room. He's like, what is this strange primitive world? I'm going to go out of this window. And Sandman's like, oh, no, you don't, Fantastic Four. I'm going to grab you. And um, he's like, wait a second, you're not a Fantastic Four. He's like, no, I'm Blastar. I'm going to blast you. And Sandman's like, dude, I'm also evil and you're evil. So I think we should do some evil teaming up. And Blastar's like, that sounds fantastic. Wait, wrong adjective. And um, so back in the um, Baxter building, Reed and Sue hug and kiss. Johnny and Crystal hug and kiss. Thing and his his uh, angst and sadness hug and kiss. And next issue, Black Star. Black Star, Blast Star. The end. Yeah. This is one of the hmm. most Kirby concepts we have had in this book to date. Yeah. And not necessarily in good ways, but maybe in good ways. It all depends on your taste. But whenever I was reading through like some of the really epic Kirby creations, like um, uh, Fourth World and Eternals and Captain America, one of the uh, like later, later, later Kirby Captain America, one of the things that struck me is how much he would just bring in really weird concept, powerful bad guys or good guys as a one-off. Mm-hmm. And then maybe never reference them again for the rest of his run. Hmm. And Blastar just to feels see like what sticks. Yeah, or or just because I had this idea, I'm going to use it in a story, yo. And I feel like Blastar is that he's he's a furry dude. He shoots blasts out of his fingers. He's very powerful in a very non-specific way. He has a look that is both generic and memorable at the same time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just like when I think of '70s Kirby, I think of stuff like Blastar. Well, that's funny because that's probably my favorite part of this issue is that like well, not necessarily the bad way, it just depends what your tastes are. Yeah, but like the repercussions of them monkeying around in the negative zone is that some really horrible evil thing from the negative zone, aka Doomsday, has escaped it yes. into our reality. And he was obviously a bad person to begin with because the negative zone was treating him as a prisoner that needed to be discarded. Right. So it's like that part to me was the most fun, and I liked that that was left as a cliffhanger for a future issue. Theoretically, next issue, but uh, but there are definitely things that I'm not sure I love, but I don't know that I hate either. No, this was, this was kind of just a, a solid story. It was just very simple and not like not super deep. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But it's kind of rocking. Well, somewhat. I really dislike what they did with Sue in this issue because here's her man, her husband, her love of her life dying, and like they keep describing her as just being silent, so horrified. Mm-hmm. That she can do nothing. And it's like, I don't know. I kind of wanted to do something. I don't know what. But outside of going, woe is me. And then like by page six, she doesn't talk again, I don't think. Yeah. Until the end. Yeah. So that's kind of weird. Like, I don't know. I want her to smack thing for breaking the mirror or breaking the monitor or tell them to let's let's pull it together and try and figure out a way to get them a rope or something. Well, to be honest, I feel like the entire Fantastic Four was kind of useless in this issue. Yeah, that too. The yeah, thing yeah. was actively anti-useful. <laughs> and Johnny and, was just kind of there moaning while uh, Sue was there, mm-hmm. you know, silently moaning. And it was the Inhumans who saved the day. And that's the other thing. Like, as much as I've not liked the Inhumans or this long dragging Inhumans midplot point, like, we finally have... Johnny and Crystal reunite, and it seemed so kind of blah because this was the worst time for them to reunite. Right. It was not the tear-filled reunion that they or we had been expecting. 
like he doesn't even look surprised or care. And I get that you could say, well, that's because he's depressed that Reed is dead. And yes, that's true. But like, man, we've had so many issues building up to their re- you know, reunification. It's just like, what the heck? Why did they do that? Weird. You mentioned that they were the aliens were dropping off a bad guy. So Blastar is a bad guy that's even bad in the negative zone. And for some reason, I forgot that that little story point. And I usually just think of the negative zone as this big, massive, cataclysmic zone where things are always banging against each other and destroying each other. Well, that's um, what they show you, yeah. But they do have aliens with space flight. Now, they keep calling it space, but meanwhile, both Triton and Mr. Mr. Reed are not protected. And they're fine, and they talk. So is it space, or is it a negative thing that's different than space? I'm guessing it's a negative thing that's different than space. Um, yeah. Like a subspace kind of thing, but you're right, they should be protected. Um, Reed is falling through this, you know, quote, space toward Earth, which we're going to come back to that in a minute. Um, mm. Something's going on there that he should be protected from. Um also, this well, I never, I didn't get that last time. We've had this before. There were the thing and Mister Fantastic were about to die. You, so, you're, when you're in the negative zone, it pulls you towards Earth. Is that what's going on? Okay, so my question is, they were on Earth, right? So, so when they went through that. the portal, how are they in space? That's what happened last time too. And I actually wouldn't have thought about that, maybe, um, except that I was recently listening to the um, Fantastic Cast, and mm-hmm. um, they were talking in future tense about something about this issue, or maybe they're talking about some other issue and they're talking about how they ended up in space away from earth. And, and yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, I don't know exactly what the reason for that is. You know, what really bummed me out is I thought that was silver surfer on the cover. Mm. And then it's like, Oh no, Triton's going to save them. What? Why was to be Triton a mystery? Well, why is like, I, I do kind of in some ways just as a Trekkie equate water and space. Okay. Not not because they are the same, but, you know, they both have this vastness to them and this, you know, you could be on a ship and all by yourself in the middle of nowhere in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this theory that, well, Triton swims, so therefore he's perfect for being in space was just kind of like, huh? Maybe there's a certain amount of he's used to looking at his world three-dimensionally because humans okay. are used to looking at their world two-dimensionally. We don't, we're not used to looking up or down. Much. There's that. Okay, I could I could buy that. Um, but yeah, you can't swim in space. So getting the swimmer to go to space feels weird. He he doesn't even swim. He uses that gun thing, like you said. Uh, yeah, but they don't show that on the first page. And so my note after no, his first don't. page of it is like he can't swim. <laughs> yeah. Then they show it on the second page. He has a gun. <laughs> but I was just thinking, like Crystal shows up with a teleporting dog, and nobody said, "Oh, a teleporting dog." Right. Dog they don't teleports. Say, I was kind of thinking teleporting dog teleport into the negative zone. Get yeah. the dude and teleport back. And no one else or, thought of that. Or at least have a paddle that says he can't teleport into the negative zone. And then I would have been fine with that. Like, okay, that's a rule. Because the negative zone works differently than here. And he can't he can't travel through that kind of space or something. Great. But nobody even comes up with that idea. She literally pops in from nowhere to talk to them. Crystal says, I think I understand. Mr. Fantastic, your leader, is trapped in something you call a negative zone and is being drawn, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, trapped in this area that for some reason has the same name as the shell around the Great Refuge that I've lived in for. The- <laughs> like, they do actually make a little weird <sighs> acknowledgement of the fact that they're the same name. Where is that on page uh, 16? Do they really? I missed that. Let me see if I can find it. 16 page uh, panel, panel. Two, right? That's 18. 
16 panel 2. For those of you who are hung up on ironic situations, how about the fact that one of Reed's purposes in investigating the negative zone was to find a means of rescuing the Inhumans from behind their unbreakable barrier? So it's like he gave this place the same name as that because maybe he was maybe he was harnessing similar energies that ended up opening this portal. I don't know. It's not an explanation, but it like acknowledges that they're the same name. You know it's really bad when you're in a room with the Fantastic Four and like Crystal is the level headed one. <laughs> Cause page six, she is like, you know, everybody else is like, why? He's gonna be dead. Why? And she's like, okay, so let me get this ready. So let me, no, 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 no. Okay, so let me go get some guys and we'll just try and fix this. No, stop talking about it. It's too much. It's too much. Ben, destroy the TV screen. You know what it reminded me of? I just mm. recently rewatched The Girl in the Fireplace. And there's this scene where Rose Tyler is talking to Madame Pompadour. And Rose is like, you uh-huh. wouldn't understand what's going on. And Madame de Pompadour is like, speak plainly and I will be an attentive listener. And uh-huh. then she's like, says everything. And and Renette just like recites everything back in language of the 1700s France. Right. And it makes sense the way she says it. And I feel like that's uh-huh. Crystal here. Crystal doesn't yeah. maybe isn't privy to everything that's been going on, but she's able to put things together. Well, she's also the only one who like, and she's not a member of this team, nor does she even know them that well, but she's the only one who's like, no, we don't have to give up. Let's go fix it. They're all like, he's dead. Yeah. I have a teleporting dog and you know, the inhumans were all special and we have cool powers. So I'm going to go back there and talk and figure this out. And by the way, don't you know, Dr. Strange and the Avengers and stuff, but Hey, that's okay. Reed's dead. That's fine. I don't like, so yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, the Fantastic Four aren't a great showing in the story. I think that's what bugs me the most. Yeah, and I don't like Ben's complete, utter lack of remorse or regret or anything that he, like, blew up the screen. Uh-huh. And everything else is like, you know, I, I didn't know we were going to need it. Um, right. So that's that's, But that's also very Ben. Ben is... It is. At least at this point, Ben is not the greatest dude we have seen <laughs> in multiple issues since at least the Black Panther story. Ben's not exactly the oh, best yeah. dude. No. Um, I can't remember what – so they were fighting the Sandman, and he got stuck in the negative zone chasing the Sandman away somehow. Like the Sandman escaped through a window instead of being sucked into the negative zone. Yeah, Sandman's like, oh, no, I don't want to get sucked in the negative zone. I don't want to get out this window. Okay, so then he went up onto the roof, and this for the last hour he's been sitting there going, someone's going to poke their head out eventually. Yeah, I'm guessing things I didn't really take it. that long – like oh. they're moaning, Crystal shows up, they're moaning, Crystal comes back, they go like it, it honestly could have just been ten or fifteen minutes. It still seems like a weird strategy. Like why would someone come out poke their head out the window? Oh, to come after him, maybe? Right. When you well, you get to page nineteen, you see he's still there. It feels like really uh-huh. <laughs> an entire month of wait between issues and the entire issue, and you're just still up there. That does feel weird. I almost feel like it'd be cooler if Blaster just have added our reality all by himself and didn't really need to team up with the mm-hmm. with the Sandman. But we'll see how that works out. They mentioned Universal Translators on page 20, about mm-hmm. nine months before Star Trek uses the idea. Boom. There have Presumably been, Marvel did not invent it, though. No, presumably but. not. I haven't always mentioned it because I don't want to like get bogged down and repeating myself, but there have been multiple times where I felt like these comics have used ideas that we would then see in Star Trek a year later. Mm-hmm. But maybe they're getting them from the sci-fi that was around or something. Yeah, sci-fi books, TV shows. I'm trying to see. As a rule, Doctor Who had one. Well, 
See, I don't know if this thing is doing it. Doctor Who used the idea it. but didn't like acknowledge it. Like people just always spoke English. I was trying to find like a history. I looked up the article on Wikipedia and they're just breaking it down by like series, but they're not saying like what was first. Right. Oh, first described by Murray Lensner's 1945 novel of First Contact. Okay. Okay. So there you go. It's been around since 1945 in some form or another. Um, but I actually wasn't wondering because we just take that stuff for granted so much. But that was a nice little thing they throw at you just to keep it realistic, I guess. Yeah, I like that. And Ben, last panel. Love. Yeah. It's just a lot of mush. At least yeah. that's what a slob like me has to keep telling um, himself. Um, um, so that which made me wonder what. <sighs> Where the heck is Alicia? Where is Alicia? Why are you seen her in a long her? time? I was just is like, he not dating her anymore? Dude, out of nowhere. Right? You have a well, girlfriend. We, we, Go kiss her. We know he's prone to states of horrible depression, and I've already decided that's cool, and it kind of makes sense. Like, yeah. one day he could say he's happy with who he is because Alicia loves him and he's great, and then the next comic could be, I hate who I am and whatever. And I don't think that's uh, contradictory. I think that's just complicated. Because people can be like that. Not contradictory, but, just complicated. I like that. But that said, where is she? Because mm-hmm. we haven't seen her in a long time, and I don't like when they just drop. She seems like an important character, but oh well, she gone. I can't remember the last time we saw her. I can't either. Is it time to avenge? Oh, Silver Surfer. Oh, yeah. So whenever they- Silver Surfer like chose to fall into her apartment, but then it actually fell into her apartment. Yeah, and then he showed up, and he was jealous, and he... He fought the Silver Surfer. Did they like maybe break up after that? Oh, remember they went to her house. She had like that house over there, that, like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, and that's when they fought. And he was being a pig. I don't remember what happened. I don't know if like they didn't have any reconciliation after that. So maybe like you would think we would have seen that on panel that she like dumped him. But she may be mad at him. In fact, she may be mad know, at why him. Why not? Let's headcanon. She's mad at him. Maybe they're going to yeah. make up off off panel. But right now, mm-hmm. he does not have that recourse. There you go. There we go. We solved it. We, we did. And now it all makes sense, as Sarah likes to uh-huh. say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The Avengers number 39, The Torment and the Triumph, featuring the Mad Thinkers, Triumvirate of Terror. Wow. I didn't know they had a name until just now, but that's okay. I.e. yet another trio of forgettable dudes. <laughs> you'll see. You'll see. Okay. The Torment and the Triumph. Some things you shouldn't have to learn about from a newspaper. Thus, as the mighty Avengers pass by a newsstand after a benefit in the nearby Central Park, they, and especially an incredulous Hawkeye, are startled to behold banner headlines proclaiming Black Widow, a traitor? <gasps> Vote the Marvel ticket. Stanley editor Roy Thomas Ryder. Don Heck artist George Bell Inker, Art Semek letterer Irv Forbush, Dog Catcher, a choice, not an ek. Oh. Um, bullpen Bulletin to befuddled browsers within these pages, packs pages, these power panicked pages. What is with his peas lately? <laughs> Lurk, the mad thinker and his triumvirate of terror. That's just in case you think you picked up a copy of Bleeding Heart Romances by mistake. Read on, Tigers. They are so concerned about Marvel readers hating romance or something. Anyway, yeah, I guess the Avengers were all in costume at a Central Park benefit, or maybe they were just going to that hamburger stand. That's what I like to think. And they saw this thing, and they're all sad. And uh, they read the paper. It turns out she did attack some sort of a base in Arizona and stole something important. 
and they made a big show of it. Um, turns out we then cut to Shield, who knew all about that, and she's like being a double agent and blah blah blah. But we knew that, right, people? Um, so yeah, Hawkeye's upset, and he just needs to storm off by himself. Goliath is like, "Wow, I never thought she was a bad girl." It's like, "What? Yes, you did. Two hundred eighty-eight times, but whatever." <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, we cut to the Mad Thinker, and he's like, now that Captain America is not on the team at this particular moment, I have fed all the information I can about human beings, the Avengers in particular, into my computer. And I now calculate that if I follow this perfect plan, they will be defeated by, what was it, 10 o'clock or something like that, Uh, by 10.18 p.m. So then the plan starts, which is basically Hawkeye all by himself, goes to his old crummy neighborhood to think if he can, like, come up with a, a contact that might help him look for Black Widow and convince her of the error of her ways. When he hears a noise that says help, he goes to investigate to help, but it was all fake because there's really this weird-looking guy named Hammerhead who I don't think is the same Hammerhead we think of when we say Hammerhead and it comes to Marvel, but I forgot to look that up. It is not the same guy at It is all. not the same guy, right? Okay, because he looks really stupid. Um, but That's because he, he is defeat- really stupid. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't actually have a hammerhead. He's wearing like a hat with a hammer thing on it. Anyway, he does ultimately beat Hawkeye. Um, then the Avengers get a, what do they call it? A blue alert. Now, a blue alert is not a full red alert. So that means only two Avengers are allowed to investigate. Someone came up with that idea. So Goliath and Wasp go to investigate Hawkeye's blue alert. Guess what? It's fake because Hawkeye's been captured. And they're attacked by Pile Driver. Who's a dude with really – so we got the guy with the big head. Now we got a guy with two big fists, and he basically takes out Goliath and the Wasp all on schedule. And then so what's left? Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are back at the mansion, and they're attacked by – the frick is this guy? Thunderboot. Guess what? We had head. We had hands. Now we got feet. And the feet are so good that not only does he knock Quicksilver off his feet – but he kicks so hard that it backlashes the vibration into uh, Scarlet Witch. So, like, her power feeds back on her, and she gets knocked out. And it's 1018, and the Mad Thinker's there, and his Triumvirate are there, and they're all, the Avengers are all, like, strapped up, and they're going to die. And Mad Thinker's like, there's nothing I haven't factored in on this one. I am 10 out of 10 on this. Great. And in walks... Hercules, because Hercules has been living in Avengers Mansion as of last issue, and Hercules, with the help of Wasp, had a suit ordered so that he could go out and try and pretend to be human as a guy named something Powers. And Hercules was just having a good time at like a club when he decided to come home. And the first thing he sees is the Avengers all captured and tied up, and he's like, what? Don't mess with my friends. And he rips off, he flexes, and his suit just pops off. He's so strong. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he turns into Hercules and immediately just like beats them all up because he's freaking Hercules. And that like allows Goliath time to wake up and he shrinks and escapes. And then Hercules like helps the others escape and all the Avengers assemble. And the fight is so dumb that even the, even, or, or so obviously easy that even the, uh, the captions like, we don't have time to show you this fight. So it's just over. Uh, but the thinker does escape and he goes back to thinking and the Avengers are like, thanks Hercules. He's like, anytime I liked fighting with you guys, I could probably beat anybody if I fought with the Avengers all the time. But then he looks out the window and sighs and they're like, ah, oh, it must be hard to be an immortal. 
who's like, you know, surrounded by stupid mortals. Next, the Submariner attacks. Surrounded by stupid mortals and amorous willing partners. (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying, it's got to be a hard life. Well, he's banished. That can't be. That can't be great. I'm sure he had his share of amorous willing partners back in Olympus. Of course. But still. Um, I mean, he's had a wife, right? So what? Theory. I'm, I, I think he's so. had a wife and children and stuff. And he's done he's done evil things in that regard too. We're not going to talk about that. So the weird thing about this issue is the Mad Thinker's plan worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the first time ever. If if Hercules hadn't been there, mm-hmm. actually no, even with Hercules, if the Mad Thinker hadn't abandoned his own plan to stop and gloat and savor the victory. If he had gone through with the planned timetable, then whenever Hercules showed up, the Avengers would be dead. Mm-hmm. So he messed it up. What does he say? He says, uh, the mad thinker. Cause he's, he's initially lamenting about how none of his plans ever work in the past. I failed because I neglected to consider the X factor, the so-called human element. It's like, you really forgot to, Think about the human element and when you were dealing with humans. It's what they mentioned in one of the previous stories, but it doesn't really ring true, does it? Because one of the things he's factoring in with his computers and with his own knowledge is what people are likely to do. Yeah. So quick tangent, and then we'll come back. Are you uh, familiar with Isaac Asimov's Foundation series? I'm familiar with it. I've never read it. They're making a TV show on Amazon. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Um, I have never read that series until within the last year I've read through his initial run. He mm-hmm. wrote several stories and then took decades off before coming back to it. I don't Ooh. know if he was just like stunted for the next idea. And then I eventually got an idea when he was older. I don't know. Anyways, mm-hmm. the idea is that there is this man named Hari Selden mm-hmm. who um, in the future, psychology will be so thoroughly understood that it can be reduced to equations and so if you have okay. the understanding of mathematics and psychology combined, you can like actually like mathematically predict people's behavior. Mm-hmm. Take that to a larger scale and you have psychohistorians who are like using these equations to predict to predict the flow of human events. And Hari Selden is like super gifted in this matter and he basically lays out the next 1000 years of human galactic civilization. And he's like, there are going to be some major turning points and major crisis points that if the right things aren't done, it'll abandon this path. But if the right things are done, we're going to follow this path and come out really super awesome in a thousand years. And then he dies. And that basically puts the events of the Foundation series in order. But I kind of was thinking as I was reading through that series, I was thinking of the mad thinker. Because the Mm -hmm. mad thinker is trying to take psychology and predict it with computers. Yeah. Which in the real world we know is probably not possible. <laughs> but no. It, it makes for a great sci fi concept. Well, I sure wish they had even given an eighth of what you just talked about to the mad thinker. But to me, it's like I still kind of don't even understand how he works or what he does exactly or where he got this computer. Right. Or if it's all the computer or if it's him. I want to say it's Wait. a combination of the two. Like they've been pretty vague about it, but it's got to be. Yeah, that's the problem. His, They're just vague. His intuition combined with the computers, and we've decided before that he's he's kind of a rubbish idea. <laughs> like, how would you even? You could observe the Avengers all you want, or even research them, but you don't know them because mm-hmm. they're you know masked individuals who don't allow people to know them. Right. So it's like, how would you 
how would you input so much information about Hawkeye, who you've never met, into a computer so that you can predict the scenario that captures Hawkeye by 915 or whatever? And by the way, you it's also just, have three unmemorable henchmen helping you do this. Uh, is this just what we do? Do we like, we want to be the enforcers, so we're just going to make henchmen trios? Up? All right. So this really isn't the hammerhead, right? No. And it's not really the pile driver? Isn't there a pile driver? Or is that Transformers I'm thinking of? Um, Hammerhead becomes the gangster guy in Spider-Man. And I think it's pile driver becomes like one of the wrecking crew. Maybe that's, see, that's what I thought, but I neglected to look it up. I don't think it's this guy though. I, I looked up hammerhead. Oh. I knew that wasn't him. Okay. I did not look up pile driver specifically. Well, you see me how I'm quickly typing right now to see if I can just find a link to this issue. <laughs> Be like, okay. Oh, that didn't work. Did you know there's eight volumes of Avengers? Jesus. Are there eight now? Well, there's at least eight, because that one is what came up. Yeah, Pile Driver has no further appearances. Hammerhead has no further appearances. And Thunderboot ah. has no further appearances. Thunderboot? What? What? That guy was going places, I thought. So on the one hand, I give them props for having a theme, you know? Mm-hmm. They have a theme where all three of these guys crush thing with their body parts, feet, hands, head. That's kind of cool, but it just was really silly. They all looked silly. And, of course, if they don't give you any information about these guys, they're all kind of like whatever anyway, right? And if you have the hammer coming vertically out of your head, it ends up looking like a nail. (laughs) So instead of being the guy who hits stuff with your head, you look like you should be hit on the head. It doesn't seem like a great power. Like, it looks like it's really difficult to pull off to charge with your head. Have you ever run, like, bent over? It seems really hard. Well, also, I'm pretty sure he never showed up again because he had, like, bad neck pain. I think Hercules just killed them because doesn't Hercules just kill people? Why would he not? Why would he not? You see how pile driver's under his armpit on that last page? That's just called a neck break, I think. <laughs> I want to believe you're correct. We see them just like lying in the dust at the they're end. Just, they're just dead. They're just dead. And the Avengers are like, oh, this is awkward. But yeah, we don't really kill people like that. We're just standing over Sorry, their Sorry, we forgot to now. tell you. <laughs> so um, let's go back to Black Widow. Okay. Because Quicksilver says she told us that she was leaving America, but we never imagined that she might plan to betray it. And I said, Mm -hmm. no, Quicksilver, you did imagine it. That's exactly what every single one of you accused her of when she left. Yeah. I'm on page uh, two. Goliath's like, I never figured her for a traitor. What? Right. Yes, you did. And they did. We talked about how they didn't super specifically spell out why Goliath was uh, distrustful of her, but like mm-hmm. that was certainly the implied reason. Yeah, that they weren't sure what side of the fence she played for. Right, and she told them, "I'm going to go behind the bamboo curtain," and they're like, mm-hmm. "Holy crap! You're going to do what? You have no place here. Get out of here, woman." You're going back to your old Russian ways behind the uh, bamboo curtain. Wait, that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't bring out. I, I, I meant to clarify last time in case there's any confusion that the bamboo curtain is this weird secondary term that refers to the Asian side of the mm. Cold War. But, right. Um, She's more red curtain. Right. I did like how we got a little continuity connection on page three. Yeah. Oh, uh huh. Uh, this scene slots cool. just before the previous week's issue of Strange Tales because mm-hmm. Fury is still on house arrest. Or he's supposed to be, mm-hmm. but apparently he. He escaped his room. He sneaks out. Mm-hmm. Mom didn't catch him. There was a, I kind of skipped over all the Hercules stuff just so I could make it a surprise when he shows up in the end. But there's like a lot of cool – I like all this business where he's like 
kind of just meandering around by himself and he's working out and breaking their stuff on accident. And like he gets a delivery and he goes to the club and all the women fawn over him. That was fun. Well, did you notice that the reason all the women have similar reactions to Hercules is because they're actually just clones of the same woman? <laughs> I did notice that this this restaurant really had a theme going. Yeah, they, they definitely hire a type. Yeah. Um, On page nine at the bottom – Hank and mm-hmm. Jan are flying through the air on the sky cycle. And she's like, uh-huh. and Hank's like, did you have to just take the same sky cycle that I'm on? And he and Jan's like, okay, come on, Hank. Have you ever heard of a bicycle built for two? Uh-huh. So my brain's like, research? When was that song? Okay. Nat King Cole recorded oh. um, the song in 1963. So it was probably very popular still in 1966, 67. The song well, that, itself is from 1892, uh, so it's been around for a while. It's just oh. Nat King Cole did the very popular rendition of it. Well, and there's also Bicycles for Two. Right. And did you know that it's the same song as Daisy Daisy from How 9000 and 2001 Space Odyssey? Oh, wow. The The verse goes something like, Daisy Daisy, give me your answer do. I'm half crazy all for the love of you. We, um, it won't be much of a marriage. We can't afford a carriage, but you'll look neat upon the seat of a bicycle built for two. It's funny you point out that panel because I was going to say, I also had a note in my head that I don't write down, that it's been a while since we've seen Jan and Hank be Jan and Hank. Mm-hmm. And that actually made me smile. I really liked that dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like, not that I want to read Tales to Astonish with them again or anything, but it's like, oh, that's like a callback to how they used to be all the time. No, seeing them in the Avengers is just the right amount of, Han- of uh, Jan and Hank. Yeah. They just haven't been doing that lately. So it was like, it was nice to just have this one little panel that gave them some, uh, they're still the same old kooky couple. Right. And where, where Hank ignores her and she wants more attention. And my thought is that he's getting ready to take off and she jumps on behind him and grabs him by the waist. And he's like yep. surprised. But like, if uh, he had been more like romantically inclined and just more voluntarily close with his would be fiance, then she would uh, actually be standing in front of him. And he'd have his arms around her. <laughs> yeah. But that's the charm of Hank is he's always <laughs> focused on the wrong things. Yeah, he is. <laughs> that's why she likes him. Oh, there was a great line on page 12. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. Hank and uh, is doing something. It's got me right where I want it. Uh-huh. And he's he's fighting this um, this huge metal scoop thing that's trying to trying to scoop him. And he uh, – um, it's it's it has the upper hand and finally he gets the upper hand. But that line, it's got me right where I want it, reminded me of that line from Star Trek: The Motion Picture, mm. where it's like it can't blame us for scanning it now. Now that we're looking down its throat, now that we've got it right where it wants us. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this is one of those lines I always liked for that movie. That's a great movie. Star Trek: The Motion Picture is underrated. It is cinematic and slow. I think it, I think it's coming around. I think more people are like. Loving it than they used to. Mm-hmm. It's cinematic and slow, but it's it's excellent film. Very much. Um, I don't know how much else I have. Yeah, I think the Mad Thinker looks like he's been working out. Yeah, yeah, he is a bit a bit muscly in this. But this is definitely like kind of a Hercules centric issue, um, in a way. Anyway, <laughs> actually. This is a great way to kind of introduce him as an Avenger. Or I guess he's not officially an Avenger Yeah, he's yet, not officially an Avenger yet. He's just kind of living but there. But I like this because they've had problems with this in the past where they where Marvel has uh, introduced a new character and then just not like let them shine. Mm-hmm. 
So it's like, well, we got Hercules, even though people all know who Hercules is, but now he's living with the Avengers. So let's just do this issue where he saves the day. I just thought that was a really good move. You know, for the ridiculousness of the man thinker and the ridiculousness of the um, three henchmen, who, by the way, all have their initial on their costume. Uh huh. Yeah, um, that's how ridiculous they are. They, it's a pretty good story. It's well rounded. Uh-huh. It uses all of the Avengers to a pretty good extent. And it gives mm-hmm. Hercules a chance to shine and save the day at the end, while also being Hercules through the course of the story. And, you know, even though, like you said, like the Mad Thinker technically won and should have he won. wasn't should have won. And I mean, he did capture them all and he could have killed them. Like at no point did I really feel the drama. This was more like kind of a light, fun, just comedic issue mm-hmm, to me, mm-hmm. which is good to have once in a while. Um, yeah, I think it had the right tone somehow, even though the Avengers almost all died. But you didn't really feel that. So you were talking about how the mad thing has been working out. I was thinking about how he's like been treating his hair better. He used to kind of have a, mop. yeah, he kind of, he looks like Magneto now. He's got a lot of like, yeah, smoothed back and coiffed a little bit. Did you notice that he's like in the thinker pose on that last page from the statue? You know what I mean? The yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what his thing is, right? He always sits in the thinker pose. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> that's just so okay. Guy. So, okay. Guy. He is back in six months for better or for worse. Oh, in Avengers? Uh, Mad Thinker. But he's going to be in Avengers? No, he's time? actually not in the Avengers again for two and a half years. Oh. But he's okay. back in, I think, Fantastic Four in six months. So, gee, he fights the Fantastic Four, then he fights the X-Men, then he fights the Avengers. Now, he's, he's like our, he's a very well-rounded villain. He's I just guess. trying to predict somebody, y'all. <laughs> Maybe he should go after Daredevil. Uh, Stick to one. Trust to blind luck on that one. Maybe we should go to Daredevil. Oh, look at Daredevil. It does say next issue, The Submariner. Uh, I don't Uh think it's going to link into his series. I think it's going to be a guest appearance, kind of like Spider-Man shows up in the X-Men kind of thing. Well, I don't know what happens, but I really hope that Hercules and Submariner don't get along and they fight. Oh, that'd be cool. Because my favorite Avengers growing up was Roger Stern, uh, John Buscema, with Wasp leading the team. And her biggest problem was Submariner and Hercules both being on that team because they always fought. Mm -hmm. So... It'd be neat to see the origins of that next issue if that's where they their animosity first starts up. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. All right. So Daredevil, is this me or you? Ye, uh, you. Okay. Daredevil 27, guest starring the one, the only, the inimitable Spider-Man, featuring the honest-to-gosh end of the masked marauder. Who's afraid of Stilt-Man? And um, Foggy and Karen are cowering in the corner. Foggy, what can we do? Well, we can always resort to sheer panic. And how about our Titanic title, Mike Murdoch Must Die? Are you ready? What sports? a DC cover, huh? Yeah, it's fantastic. I love this yeah. issue. I'm just going to say it right up front. Nobody can be certain that the sightings of flying saucers are genuine or not. But there's one thing you can get, you can bet your mighty Marvel Marching Society button on. If you happen to see a sight like this when you least expect it, you can bet your bottom dollar it's old Daredevil and he's for real. Daredevil is jumping over a statue of the Mad Thinker. I I was just going to ask, why has the Mad Thinker got a statue in in Marvel? That's weird. Surely we don't have to tell you that DD fought Stiltman to a fairly well last-ish, but... Lost to him to the sneaky masked marauder at the last minute. Daredevil recaps for a stilt man must be somewhere in the city and sooner or later I've got to find him. Actually, I'm kind of glad he got away from me. It gives me an excuse to catch up on my exercise. You know, criminals so I can exercise. Guest starring genial Jean's own variegated version of 
Aw, why bother telling you? You'll see for yourself as soon as you turn the page. Nobel Prize Committee, please note. Brand Eck will little note nor long remember what we say here, but the mighty minions of Marveldom shall never forget this breathtaking battle of babbling behemoths by Stan, the man Lee, and gentleman Gene Colon, indescribable inking by fearless Frankie Jacoya, level-headed lettering by adorable Artie Simic. All right, y'all. Daredevil's swinging through town. Spider-Man is stopping a stick-up, and Daredevil's like, hey, I'll help. He swings down and kicks up some bad guys. And Spider-Man's like, yo, dude, it's just a couple of crooks. If people think that you're helping me, my rep is going to be in the toilet. I don't need help with these guys. And Daredevil's like, okay, fine, whatever. You can have the collar. Um, but if you see a guy called the Stilt Man, leave him for me because I'm gunning for him. Spider-Man's like, okay, fine. Daredevil says, come on, guy. Can't you smile? And Spider-Man's like, how can you tell I'm not smiling? Anyways, so um, we cut scene to the masked marauder and stilt man. And masked marauder is like, I have this helicopter. It flies and has a force field bubble around it so that anything that hits the force field will get disintegrated. And stilt man's like, that's pretty great. I've got stilts. And masked marauder says, okay, we're going to be great partners. Let's go find Daredevil. So Mike, uh, Matt Murdock and Karen and Foggy are hanging out and they're like, where's Mike? And Matt's like, uh, he's probably out there searching for Stiltman as Daredevil. Stiltman shows up in their office, throws down some sleeping gas and Mike and Matt Murdock, I keep calling him Mike. Matt Murdock is like, since my nose senses are super sensitive, I'm probably going to fall asleep first because that's how sleeping gas works. Stiltman carries off the three good guys and puts them in a um, uh, a tarp that gets uh, sucked up into the um, into the helicopter, and uh, they leave behind a note on the desk. Hey, Daredevil, we have your friends. Come and die. And Mass, Mar- Mass Marauder has the helicopter. He has Stiltman. He has our three protagonists, and he is sitting fat and happy. They're waiting for Matt Daredevil to come after them because Daredevil is going to save his friends. And of course, Daredevil can't do this because they have Daredevil on the ship. And um, finally, they let slip that they're waiting for Devil, Daredevil to show up and they don't know who he is. They're trying to figure out his identity. And Matt's like, oh, well, dude, I can tell you who Daredevil is. It's my twin brother, Mike Murdock. And Karen's like, oh, no, how could you betray your brother like that? And Matt says, she'll never love me now because I betrayed my non-existent twin brother. Oh, no. (laughs) All right. So meanwhile, Stiltman's like, okay, I want to go find Mike Murdoch. He jumps out of the helicopter, starts stilting through town. Spider-Man's like, hey, Stiltman, that's a man on... (gasps) I bet you that's who Daredevil's going after. And so Spider-Man, drawn by Gene Colon, has a fight with Stiltman, drawn by Gene Colon. It's pretty fantastic. And back up on the ship... Um, Mass Marauder's like, okay, you know what? I just realized we know who Daredevil is. We don't need you guys anymore. So Daredevil's like, okay. Or Matt Murdock's like, okay, I've accidentally punched the button that turns off the force field. So as long as it doesn't turn it back on, we're going to be great. Um, Mass Marauder shoots at Daredevil, at Matt Murdock, who dodges the blast just at the right angle so that it hits the ropes binding his wrists as he falls out of the helicopter, grabs the helicopter's resting legs with his knees, 
takes off his clothes in the middle of the sky under the helicopter and swings back around up through the other part, just as Mass Marauder is about to push Karen out the doorway and Daredevil's there and he fights Mass Marauder and they fight in the helicopter. The helicopter's not even being driven anymore. It's swerving all through the air. And Daredevil's like, okay, landlord Farnham, give it up. And Mass Marauder's like, how did you know? Daredevil's like, I read the script. So Masmarar takes off his mask and Karen's like, it really is Mr. Landlord Farnham who's appeared in three issues before this. And he says, yes, I am. Um, so Daredevil punches him in the face. Mass Marauder. Oh, they turned the disintegrator force field back on. So Mass Marauder falls out of the helicopter. He falls into the disintegrator force field and he force field disintegrates right there in front of him. And it was like, oh. Well, okay. Sucks to be him. So Stiltman and Spider-Man are fighting. Stiltman goes after Daredevil in the helicopter. Daredevil punches Stiltman in the face. And um, he falls into the water, which messes up his electronics. And so he can't Stiltman away. And like, okay, we'll probably save him with the police. Next, an alien on Earth. This is comics, y'all. I don't know how much you You liked it, Mike, but this was comics. I did like it, but I can't help but feel like if this was drawn by, you know, Jim Ballant or something, I would hate it. <laughs> so I well, think most of it, I think 80% of it is because Gene Colan just looks really good. There's not enough opportunity for boobs in this. <laughs> so if Jim Ballant oh, were yeah. drawing it, you're right. It would be difficult. Yeah. Well, it's difficult even when there are opportunities for boobs with him. But anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, the. It's a. I feel like I'm going to complain about the entire thing, but I did enjoy reading it. It's a so very simple issue. I was just reading it and like eating every page. I don't know why yeah, I loved it, that. but to me, this is a contender for best. That's the thing. Like, it was a page turner. I got through it fast. It was enjoyable. It was fun. But now that I'm here on a podcast and have to be critical of it, it's just like easily torn apart also. So, so should we start with the mass modern mystery? Yeah. Okay. That went nowhere. Had you guessed it was him? Well, that last issue, they revealed it. Oh, yeah, that's right. They did reveal the last issue. But, like, there were zero consequences from it. The fact that it was their landlord just gave him an excuse to be in the story. It didn't actually play into his reveal. Yeah, like, if you're going to go through all that trouble of having it be this person that's in their life, like, and then have this big reveal, like, now the next ten issues should be him ruining their life somehow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And instead, it's just like, nah, he dies. Okay. So their big problem is they need a new landlord, I guess. Right. Um, So that was weird. And, and also, like, his big reveal, like, look at my amazing abilities. I have a helicopter. It has a death force field, though. It did have a death force field. And I like to think that Masquerader is, like, killed him. sarcastically humoring Stiltman. Stiltman's like, uh-huh. I, I've got these stilts I want to show you. Masquerader's like, I've, I've seen your stilts, dude. He's like, yeah, but you haven't seen them. You've looked at Jimmy, uh-huh. but you haven't seen Jimmy. So he, like, shoots up there like an action figure. Masquerader's like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. How did, her, how did Daredevil ever beat you? Right. <laughs> um, and they okay, now my other problem, right away, mm-hmm. there's this whole letter that Spider-Man wrote to Daredevil about how he knows he's Daredevil. I do wish that had gotten mentioned by a, either one like, of them. It's like, dude, that first of all, that seems so out of character for Spider-Man. We never get his side of that letter. Mm-hmm. Now's the opportunity to get that side of that letter. He's, and like zero talk about there's it. There's no, hey, did you get that note I sent you, Matt? And there's no, <laughs> right? hey, you kind of you know messed up my life by sending me that letter, Spider-Man. 
Right. I've got a, I've got this new twin brother I didn't know I had. <laughs> if, if anybody should be grumpy, it should be the opposite. Like Spidey's all grumpy in this and Daredevil's all happy. It's like, no, no, other way around, man. Right. I didn't quite get the banter between them on page three. I'm just going back there so I can oh, read it. Um, I liked it. He says, okay, Webhead, you can take blah, 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 blah. Um, okay, what's with you, fella? Don't you ever smile? How can you tell I'm not smiling under my mask? And he says, oh, Matthew, you left yourself wide open for that one. How do I know I have, how do you know I haven't got x-ray eyes? Mm-hmm. It just, the first two bubbles were funny, but I don't really know why Daredevil's like. Um, well, because he actually can sense that he's not smiling. Can Daredevil sense that Spider-Man's not smiling? I assume so. He can sense everything, right? It's just a, it's just a mask. Oh, actually, you know you what? Now that I'm reading anyway. it again, it makes a lot more sense. He's not talking. <gasps> or, or the other option is Daredevil has no idea that Spider-Man wears a full face mask. Okay. One of the two. I don't know which. Because he can't see. I thought it was a reference to his powers and how Spider-Man doesn't understand his powers and how he's going to give away the fact that he's blind. But I think it's just I left myself open for a joke and or you know. Oh. And so maybe no, maybe something I thought it, I thought it was the first one. I thought it was because he's like, whoops. I revealed something about my abilities that I don't want to reveal. So that he says, oh, I have extra vision. Just so like do the opposite. Not only am I not blind, I have super sen- super eyes. Ooh. That was pretty good. Speaking of Spider-Man, what do we think of Gene Colon on Spider-Man? Uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I mean, he's, I think Ramita has him, but uh, I like that fight in the end. But it also just makes you realize like unless it's Daredevil, you know, Stiltman's not much of a threat for people. Right. Because Spider-Man just destroys him, which – I was really glad to see, by the way. <laughs> I thought there were some panels, especially earlier in this year, where Spider-Man looked maybe a little too muscular. And his, on the yeah. wide shots, I think the ink, the webbing is a little off. His, something's wrong with his head. Mm-hmm. But when you get zoomed in closer, his head works better. So I don't know if it's just like it's an odd shape. What. I don't know. It's an odd, weird oval shape. Mm-hmm. Um, I made fun of it in the recap. I don't think that's how sleeping gas works. Like, having a heightened olfactory sense is not going to make the chemicals process in your brain more quickly. Because then people who can't smell, like my wife's father, doesn't have a sense of smell, it would just not work on him. And I think it will work on him. I think that should be more about like if something smelled bad or or just potent, you know, then that should bother him more than everybody else. Right, a subjective but, response to odor. Yeah. But not but not not that no, inhaling that sleeping gas. Really One of the things I loved about this story is that they leave a note in the Murdoch and Nelson office for Daredevil <laughs> as they take away everyone in the Murdoch and Nelson office who has any connection to Daredevil. It's just fantastic irony. And it's, yeah. And then like Stiltman's just walking around the city. Are you Mike Murdoch? Uh, anybody seen Mike Murdoch? Dang. There's no phone book of Mike Murdoch. Yeah, he looks what Mike Murdoch do? up in the phone book. He's like, oh. So then he starts. But like, as Stiltman. The reason Spider-Man comes across him is because he, run, he robs a jewelry store trying to like make some crime. So Daredevil comes after him and he gets a Spider-Man yeah. instead. Yeah, yeah. Which honestly just, is one of the few really times that plan. like the Marvel Universe has acknowledged that just because you're in this person's book doesn't mean this is the person who's going to come after you. Yes, that was kind of cool. But part of me is like, well, they don't really like Spider-Man's just so like a bit part in this in a way. But sometimes that I guess would happen, right? A bit part who I guess kind of like, you know, plays a nice auxiliary role. Mm-hmm. I like Chuck. Chuck the cop. Say, Bill, did Chuck you uh, the cop. did you just oh. see something flash out of the sky? Oh, come on, Chuck. <laughs> Not another flying saucer. Or was it Santa's sleigh? No, no, I, I could have sworn I, I saw something metal 
Must have been a reflection, I guess. I mean, I think working with Chuck is kind of hard. He probably cries wolf too much. Yeah, yeah probably. He's the Wesley Crusher of the NYPD. <laughs> yes. He's always right, but nobody believes him. But yeah, um, it's a simple story. I think story. he just ridiculously like Mike Murdoch. And the more insane they use Mike Murdoch, the better for you, for some reason. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Mike Murdoch doesn't even show up in this issue. No, and I thought he was going to die, but it turns out that the title just comes from the bad guy saying Mike Murdock must die. They're all out to kill him. Well, at least it didn't come oh. after it didn't come out of the very last panel where somebody shoots at a TV screen with Mike Murdock on it saying he has to die. <laughs> That's yeah, the way it could have gone. <laughs> I think it'd be funny if like the villains all just blinked when he said, "Oh, Daredevil's really my twin brother, Mike Murdock," and they just look at each other. Get out of here! What? And then they just shot him in the head. That'd be funny, but nah, it's okay. It says next issue alien look on at, earth. And I have no idea who it is. Look at Karen, like pushing the mass marauder in the face. though. that's probably cool. Yeah. Karen was pretty great in this issue. Foggy was completely non-existent, although he is sitting there on the floor. Uh, yeah. I assumed it was Superman next issue, right? I don't know. looks like it's generic. It was an alien on I have earth. no idea. Let's see when we get there. Batman fifties. You know who Mike Murdoch reminds me of just off the top of my head right now. Out of nowhere. What? Mary Jane Watson. Yes, they have the same personality. Very same energy coming off of those two, right? Same hair color too. Yeah, they should they should get together or not <laughs> or not. I don't think they could. I don't think they could survive each other in the same room. I don't think we readers could survive them together in the same room. <laughs> hey, Daddy O. Um, spoilers: Masked Marauder is not dead. We oh come on. We will see him again in Iron Man sixty. So that's five years away. Is a teleporter uh, force field? Yeah. Isn't that such a thing in sci-fi? Like, disintegrators are always transmats. Like, like as long as it's disintegrated, you know they're just transporting. <laughs> well, because we all know you can't just make nothing from something. It has to go somewhere. It has to go right? somewhere. Or like a big explosion as it disintegrates the matter. Mm-hmm. Or Red Skull's time gun. Right. For no reason or whatever. Yeah. Meanwhile, we will see Stiltman later this year in Daredevil's first annual. Ooh, big time. Yeah. And that's four comics. And uh, we've got about an hour and a half, so I don't think we really need to squeeze we in a fifth. It. Nah, we're good. Let's end it on a high end note. End it on a high note. On a, on, a, on a dubious high note. Although, if you want high notes, Spider-Man and the Vulture. Oh, no. Is that next? be physically high in the air. <laughs> yeah, that's next. Uh, <laughs> I think I better be physically high to read that. But. I'm curious to see your reaction because it is something different with it, but we'll see what you think. Okay. So where could they, uh, I guess, homework. Homework for next time. Homework. Amazing Spider-Man 48, The X-Men 31, Sergeant Fury 42, Thor 140. And if you're feeling ambitious and if we run quick, we might cover Tales of Suspense 90. Ooh. Um, where can they find us? MakeOursMarvel.com will have all the episodes, um, has links to, you know, your iPhones and your Android podcasts, Spotify, RSS feed, if you just want the straight up link for that. Um, it's got links to our social media, Facebook and Twitter. And most importantly, maybe it's got a contact form so you can write us and then we can read your letters and not feel like we're doing this in a vacuum. Or you could write directly, podcast at MakeOursMarvel.com. Also on that page is a PayPal link where you can give a little tip in the tip jar, which we um, never expect our listeners to do, but always appreciate. So we want to say thank you to George Nieves or possibly Jorge Nieves for giving us a a bit of change in there. Thank you so much. Um, Mike can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I can be found on Twitter at 
John Reads Comics. And on my pinned tweet on Twitter is a link to my other podcasts, or are links to my other podcasts. I've got I've got two that I'm going to talk about because all the pouches is kind of it's kind of feeling backburnery. And I'm having a huge change in life status here in the near future that might allow for some more time for me to revive that. But until that happens, I'm going to stop mentioning it. So my two other podcasts I do are weekly. They are Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast where I talk about Marvel comics and cartoons starring the robotic transforming aliens from another planet. And also with my son, I do a discussion of... um, the Japanese superhero TV show Kyoryu Sentai Jurenja, which is a um, the source material for the first season of America's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and that is uh, every week on the same Twitter on the same podcast feed as Return to Cybertron, but it's called Dino Squad Goals, and uh, yeah, you should go check us out. And do I have anything else? Uh, that's it for me. Right. Well, in that case, come back and listen to us in a week. As we talk about more comics, and until then, or until Stilt Man gets hired by the police to be a stilt cop, make ours marvel. <laughs>